1: we are back at it welcome back to another edition of the pistols firing podcast i am carson cunningham joined as always by colby powell fresh off the uh, ski slopes apologize for the uh, delay on posting this podcast i've been under the weather had kind of the cold going around a lot of drainage a lot of upper respiratory stuff but we are back at it colby how was uh skiing and do you have another physical therapy appointment afterwards (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I probably should though. Uh it's funny, I go out and the first day we were there, I mean it's a blizzard, like ten inches of snow in eight hours. Uh we're just staying in the trees to stay away from it. I I go backward headfirst into a tree. I'm totally fine. I come back from the blizzard and the trees, and you're sick. Uh so it seems like you actually somehow got the worst end of the deal.
1: Oh, I definitely did. Now, I'm kind of a baby because I thought I had strep throat and the doctor said no, it's just drainage and taking antihistamine, you know, so You pay your your, uh, co-pay and uh, basically could have fixed yourself, essentially, is what happened.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, you know, my wife makes fun of me talking about the man cold. My thing is a sore throat. I think it's just because I talk so much. Uh, You know, we talk on here, but I'm just very talkative in my life in general. Um, Yeah, the sore throat just, it takes me out, man. I, I hate a sore throat. I will take almost any other ailment that I can deal with over a sore throat.
1: Yeah, it's no good. Uh, we got plenty to talk about, obviously, the the hire of the defensive coordinator that Mike Gundy has chosen to make, uh, plus much more. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at com. We got spring sports coming up. The baseball preseason poll is out. We got all sorts of softballs ranked number two in the country. I mean, there's a lot of excitement for spring sports, and when you're traveling to Stillwater, be sure to stop by Chris's and get your uh, latest and freshest gear to uh, attend those events at you know, what is you know sparkling new O'Brate Stadium. The Cowgirl softball team is rolling coming into this year. So plenty of excitement for uh, spring sports. But, uh, Colby, it's been a while since you and I talked. I had Bill Haston on last week to really kind of dive into all the issues with uh, Oklahoma State football program at large, the transfers, and then just kind of get his thoughts. But uh, obviously the headliner of, of this podcast, Colby, is Mike Gundy has once again dipped into the Division Two ranks. This time hiring Brian Nardo as his defensive coordinator uh, from a school I didn't know exists in Gannon University. I was instantly reminded of Rich Gannon, the former quarterback for the Raiders. But um first and foremost, Colby, just give me your instant reaction. Like what what was the first thing you thought when you saw it on Twitter? Like I, that's where I want to start.
0: The very first thing I thought was Mike Yersich. The very first thing I thought was Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, and I, I don't even know if I thought of that in a negative or a positive manner because the Yersich hire was made. I remember making fun of it and thinking, okay, D3 Shippensburg, this doesn't make any sense. I also remember Mike Yersich leading some of the top five offenses in the NCAA throughout the majority of his time at Oklahoma State, an offense now that is sputtering and has been for several years. Um yeah, that, that was my first thought, was Mike Yersich and Shippensburg. I, I didn't know when I first saw it. I'm like, okay, is this another YouTube hire? Who's talked to, to who here? If memory serves correct, I believe Shippensburg was D3 and uh, Rich Gannon University, uh, as you mentioned, and I thought of that as well. Uh, yeah, is Division two so... I, I pulled up the numbers. Somebody posted them on Twitter of what the defensive ranks were last year for Gannon University. And I looked at all that stuff and I, I still didn't know what judgment to make off those numbers because those lack context. I, I don't, I mean, I wasn't following Gannon University football. I don't know if that was a team full of freshmen trying to figure it out. I don't know if those were seniors who played a ton of football together. I don't know where Gannon ranks in terms of recruiting and facilities relative to their competition. That stuff all lacks context, which kind of neuters our ability to give analysis of the hire because we don't know. I mean, Brian Nardo hasn't coached at this level, so we don't know whether Brian Nardo will be successful at this level. We don't have an accurate apples to apples kind of measurement like Derek Mason, who comes from the SEC. It's much easier to analyze a hire coming from the SEC than it is from Gannon University. So I, I somewhat think we're left to sit here and say, I don't know. I don't follow Gannon University. Maybe he'll be a great hire. Maybe he won't. But I think the only way we're truly going to know is to just wait, wait and see how it works out.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, that's, I was shockingly not. I think a lot of people will probably expect me to kind of be triggered by this hire and to like, you know, question the direction of this program under Mike Gundy. I was surprisingly like nonplussed by it all. I was very unaffected and I just kind of, I don't know. My my tune has really changed on the requirements of a big-time coordinator. I mean, you just look at all the coaches that are having success. The guy that instantly kind of pops into my mind obviously is Mike Yursich. And, you know, I instantly had fans and, and people DM, like t- mentioning me on Twitter that I, I mentioned that Yursich was a home run. We'll see about this guy. And, and people still just don't want to admit that Mike Yersich was a home run when he literally had Oklahoma State in the top five in nearly every category that mattered his last year. Uh, he was a great hire. Did he start slow? Yeah. But you look at guys like this, Colby, and, and Joey Maguire, who's just crushing it at Tech, had them very competitive on the field this year, is lighting it up and recruiting. He came from the high school ranks. Mike Yersich came from the same level, the same conference, really, that, that Nardo did. I, I think football... We try to make it overly complicated <laughs> and it's really not like it, it, it's really not when guys get if you hire smart people who have all the the makeup of a good coach, which appears based on all the the tweets and texts that people have been getting about him overwhelmingly positive. And I think Mike Gundy has tapped into this where I mean, just just think back to, to Jim Knowles coming from Duke. That was very underwhelming. People myself included was like we're, we're hiring the, the D.C. from Duke. But I I think this is just one of those cases, Colby, where it doesn't really matter what level you're coaching as long as you can coach. And I think we just have to kind of sit back and, and trust Mike Gundy's evaluations because more often than not, they've been really good. And I do think people also have kind of they really have poor memories when it comes to when they hired Todd Munkin, who is like the patron saint of OSU fans now for what he's really done. Not only when he was at Oklahoma State, but now he's, you know, national championship coordinator, one of the best offense coordinators in the country at Georgia. When he got hired at Oklahoma State, Colby, it was like, who? The, the Jaguars wide receivers coach is going to call plays instead of Dana Holgerson? That looked like the makings of a disaster because he had a relationship with Mike Gundy when they coached together on Les Miles' staff. Well, turns out Mike Gundy knew what he was doing. So, like, I guess all that's to say, Colby, I was very – unaffected because I just kind of nodded and said, you know what? He'll probably end up being a good coach like Mike Yursich."
0: Yeah, no, it, it's not the the sexy reaction that I think some people probably thought, expected, maybe wanted from us today. But I, I do think that part of the reaction that I saw on Twitter um, just goes to an overall disrespect for lower levels of football that I'm not really sure should exist. I mean, guys have to start coaching somewhere. Kirby Smart coached at the Division II level. Kirby Smart's not coaching there anymore. Sometimes a guy just needs an opportunity. Now, is Brian Nardo that guy? Again, I don't know. I don't know because it's hard to make that comparison from D2 to D1, Power 5, Oklahoma State, and all that stuff. He is coming into a good defensive culture at Oklahoma State. We saw with the turnover from Knowles to Derek Mason that there was some drop-off, particularly early in the season. It wasn't just your coordinator that you lost, though. It was a ton of players on that back end from that historically great defense. And then Derek Mason comes in. Defense is kind of churning at the end of the season. Defense looks pretty good. You feel pretty confident there. And with a lot of the same talented young guys coming back on the defensive side of the football, you, you lost some guys that are going to be impactful. Jabbar Muhammad, uh, a guy I was really high on. Like, Yeah, you're going to have to replace some guys on Oklahoma State's defense. But when, when I saw the news of this hire, my, my first reaction wasn't rage or anger. Or why didn't you go get somebody from the SEC again? My first reaction was, Okay, let's kind of look into Brian Nardo and see what this guy's all about. Uh, You know, you you see the text people post on social media, stuff like that, talking about he's a great guy, he's a great coach. I I just think that if all you're doing as your analysis is, well, he was in Division Two, so he clearly must not be good enough to do this at Oklahoma State. I I think that that's lazy analysis because Division Two. It's not bad football. This isn't junior high. This is Division Two, and sometimes guys just need a chance. So I, I don't know that Brian Nardo's the savior. Uh, I also don't know that he's not. I, I, the, the jury is going to be out until we just see what the product looks like on the field, and that's, that's not the sexy, fun reaction. But that's the reality, and if you hate this hire, 10 out of 10 hate it, or 10 out of 10 love it and think it's a home run, then you must have more information than I do because uh, I think we're all kind of watching this from the outside, and now we're in a holding pattern to, to see what the defense looks like next season.
1: Yeah, it's well, and I think what it's going to look like, and and the reason Brian Nardo was hired is it's very clear. Mike Gundy has stated this publicly, and I've heard this privately, He's really trying to go to the 3 3 high safety look that Iowa State and John Heacock has made famous. Uh, I think Mike's tried to pry away Heacock, much like he pried away Charlie Dickey from Kansas State. Hasn't worked. And based on all the intel I've gotten is, is Mike really wanted to hire this guy named D.K. McDonald. He's the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, he's on their staff on defense. He's their defensive backs coach. Came from Iowa State. You know Matt Campbell and uh, Nick Sirianni, the coach of the the Eagles, they know each other from their Mountain Union days, and I think Sirianni has picked Matt Campbell's brain on, you know, the John Heacock defense, and I, I think that is why Brian Nardo is at uh, Oklahoma State. He adopted the same defense, and I think once they could not get DK McDonald from the Eagles, they shifted their focus to someone else of that tree, and it's been proven that, that Nardo has really established himself as really an expert in this style of defense. And I think it, it does two things. One, I think it, it's a proven commodity within the Big 12. I think Iowa State has had the best defense since about 2017 overall by all the metrics. So it's proven successful in this conference. And I think, it, Colby, it really limits the biggest weakness on the entire roster. And right now that's defensive line. They're losing a ton. They didn't get hardly anything in recruiting. Uh, their their defensive line depth has plummeted, and I think it's by far the worst position group on the team. So you limit the impact the defensive line can have with this defense as well, and I think more than anything, Colby, it's just a defense that Mike Gundy's gone against. He 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 finds it very difficult to have success against, he, and Mike Gundy's a smart coach. He's willing to adapt, and I think that's what he's trying to do with his hire, and let's face it, he, he had success with Mike Yursich. Uh, He did his due diligence with Brian Nardo, who gets, again, just rave reviews, has recruited the state of Oklahoma and Texas, which is pivotal. That's another great fit for Brian Nardo. And I just, I think, I think it's just, that's, that's the reason he's there, Colby. And I was interested, your thoughts on, you know, the shift from what they've been doing defensively. And and now it seems they're going to be full bore into the, uh, the three, three, five with the three high safeties.
0: Yeah, I think the, the part that you brought up about the defensive line depth is key whenever you look at Oklahoma State's shift in defensive mentality. If you've got the guys all across the defensive line, yeah, put four or five of them down there. If you don't, man, you've got to play to your strengths. And, and Oklahoma State's strength right now is not defensive line. They've struggled with, with depth at that position. They've had some really high-level guys over the years. And, uh, again, that 2021 season, yeah, they had guys all across that front Those guys are gone. I mean, those guys are gone and you're still waiting for the next crop of guys to pop up and do something. Uh, The back end, the linebackers, the secondary, safeties, that has been a serious position of strength for Oklahoma State defensively. So, uh, yeah, I I like the philosophy. If you can do it to the level Iowa State has done it, I think that you're making major uh, strides defensively and having huge success, especially in a new Big 12 conference that won't include Oklahoma and Texas, that the key is to operate the way Iowa State has operated defensively and have that level of success while having a higher level of success offensively. And I, I do think that part of the... I don't know if I should call it outrage or just reaction or what it was, but you know, you scroll Twitter and you see people are are, are pissed that you hire somebody from D two that they've never heard of, from a university that they've never heard of, this, that, and the other. I, I think part of the reaction uh, is because this fan base is really hungry for changes on the offensive staff that are not coming, and so everybody's just kind of upset and on edge right now, and they want something big and they want something splashy, and this wasn't big and splashy, but it doesn't mean it was the wrong hire. Uh, and certainly this philosophy could work to Oklahoma State's personnel. And look, I, I think that we both think that Oklahoma State's going to have to be pretty good defensively because we still have a lot of questions about the offense with Alan Bowman coming in, having not really played much football in the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, you've got an offense that, that failed to score more than 20 points the last what six games of the season. That, I think, is where the concern is. And whenever you hire a Brian Nardo from Gannon University as defensive coordinator, some people are upset because they wanted something more. But uh, I think people are upset about something else, uh, particularly what's happening on the offensive side, and they're taking it out on the new defensive coordinator hire because um, this is... This is how coordinator hires are made when you're not Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State. You know, we made a big deal out of Oklahoma State getting Derek Mason from Auburn. Uh, that's because that was a big deal to go get that guy from the SEC. That's not normally where Oklahoma State's coordinators come from. They normally come from Gannon University, and that might be a tough pill to swallow for some people, but that's the reality. Uh, so if he can come in and implement his system, and if he can get Oklahoma State to successfully running that three-three-five in the New Look Big 12 Conference, um, I, I mean – I don't have any reason to think that production on that side of the ball is going to dip significantly. Now we just need the offense to catch up.
1: Yeah, I think you're so right about the the outrage coming from the offensive side. Like, th- this move, like to play devil's advocate, this move kind of looks like, I'm Mike Gundy. I don't care what you think. I'm smarter than you. Uh, watch me turn this D2 coordinator into something. It kind of reminds me of when Sam Presti would always take <laughs> – guys who were literally not even on a two round mock draft just to like show like, look, I know I'm smarter than all of you. I know best. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, So we'll have to see. Now the one criticism I will have Colby is his salary has not been uh, released yet. One thing that really, really, really bothered me about the Mike Yursich hire, it wasn't necessarily hiring Mike Yersuch. It was the fact that they paid him $500,000 from the jump, which Again, that was 10 years ago. That was near the upper echelon of coordinator salaries. This dude would have walked from Shippensburg, Pennsylvania to Stillwater. You didn't need to pay him top end dollar. Let him prove himself first, especially that first year. It was pretty rough. And so I think part of what makes this higher, you know, you know, appealing for Oklahoma State and the, and certainly the administration is, is dipping into the lower level means you don't have to pay a guy a million dollars like you were Jim Knowles. Um, so that that's the one thing, Colby, I want to see is there's no need to pay this guy $900,000 like Casey Dunn, which that's a whole other story. Uh, I would like to see him come in at a lower level salary for, you know, his requisite experience. And then if he turns into Jim Knowles, then yeah, pay, pay him so you can keep him. But I thought that was one thing that, never really made much sense to me you don't have to pay top end dollar for a guy coming from a lower level
0: uh no i'm totally with you there that is money that can be spent on recruiting dump the extra money into the recruiting budget it seems so simple uh we will see if it plays out that way i don't know if it will or not but yeah this is if you can get somebody good at a bargain it just frees up money elsewhere so yeah 100 with you on that put it toward the recruiting budget, put it toward NIL, whatever you're putting it toward, um, save a little money on the on the coordinator hire, let him prove himself. And like you said, if he proves himself and there are other people who want to take him, pay him, pay him to get him to stay. But uh, until then, pay him a lower salary coming from a lower level, let him prove himself and use that money elsewhere.
1: Yeah, um, I think some people would argue they pay Mike Gundy $7.5 million. Perhaps you could divvy that up a little better. Uh, that's something Bill Haston pointed out that, You know, Chris Kleiman's making like three and a half, you know, a full four million dollars less per year at Kansas State. But that's that's probably another topic. But I I guess overall, I'm pretty bullish on it. The the higher itself, just the more you hear about the guy, he just seems like a real up and comer. And and again, I just I keep thinking back to these coaches who have come from different levels and we try to make football into quantum physics, and it's really not. And so I'm, I'm certainly not going to discount him. He's got a ton of experience. He's made real impacts everywhere he's been. His defense has gotten better, but, um, I also am curious to see Colby, how he is in in recruiting. You just mentioned the recruiting budget, like, uh, one of our Twitter questions, and we'll get to those here soon, um, mentioned, is he going to be a tireless coach who's obsessed with recruiting? The last coach that was obsessed with recruiting uh, was what, Arroyo? Marcus Arroyo? I mean, he stuck out like a sore thumb he was so into recruiting. He stuck out, and he and he had success. Uh, this was from Brandon Ramos, actually. Any info if Nardo is a fanatical recruiter, feels like we haven't had a coach who is obsessed, all caps, with recruiting in a long time like Arroyo. And I think that's a good point. I think that's ultimately, obviously the the product on the field is going to matter the most with the coordinator hire, Colby, but man, if he, he's a younger guy, if he can start you know, getting more Kendall Daniels of the world uh, top to bottom on the roster. Uh, then, then you got a really home run.
0: Uh, Yeah, most definitely shout out to Brandon for the question. Brandon and I had some classes together freshman year. I think it was uh, at Oklahoma state and uh, we'd see each other from time to time in Stillwater. So appreciate the question. Yeah, I, I sure hope so. Um, He's a younger guy. Everybody talks about, you know, what a great man he is. That's what I kept seeing on Twitter. Uh, just what a great man he is it's somebody you want to play for, all that stuff. Uh, that matters. That matters significantly in recruiting. I hope that he is one of these guys that is just young and hungry to get on the recruiting trail because that's really where the next leap's going to come for Oklahoma State football, right? I mean, you piece together good seasons here and there. Some years you're winning six, seven, some years you're winning 10, 11. Um, but the real step where a down year, is 8 and 4 and and look that's a big ask for a school like Oklahoma State that doesn't have the big budget of these blue bloods doesn't have all this NIL money to throw around uh, you, you know Boone wasn't around in the right era he was around pre NIL wish Boone was still around for the NIL era it's a big ask for Oklahoma State to to be winning 8 games in a down year but to, to make that step which I think that this fan base is is hungry for it's gonna come in recruiting um, and you hope that you go out and you get young guys who are hungry to do that and be on the recruiting trail and be in the living rooms and at the games and all that stuff um I, I hope he is that guy again uh, there's just you you go out and you try to find a bunch of information on a, a division two uh, guy you're, you're gonna struggle but uh, I sure hope so because Oklahoma State needs that guy
1: well and i'm I'm certainly curious you know, I think people have just given up on the fact that Mike Gundy will make staff changes just because it's been up to this point. I'm I, I would agree that it certainly looks that way, but I am curious after the next signing day in February, because again, they got a commitment today from uh, running back out of Southeast Rodney Fields and there's a picture of him with Casey Dunn and, you know, all these offers and commitments have been getting photos with, you know, Charlie Dickey, Casey Dunn, uh, you know, McKin Mack all those guys. I don't know, Colby, how are you, what are you expecting? Because I'm kind of willing to wait until after February to, to resign the, to, re, to be resigned to the fact, they're going to keep the offensive staff the same.
0: Uh, I am less, we'll call it optimistic than you, that we'll see changes there. I, I think if they were coming, they would have happened by now that I don't have sources, uh, I'm not reporting anything from inside the program. I just look at the landscape of college football coaches getting hired. Who's left. I I just, man, it is January 27th. As we sit here today, I really think that if they were coming, it would have already happened. Uh, I I am somewhat resigned to the fact that it's going to be a Casey Dunn, Charlie Dickey, Mike Gundy offense next fall. And let's just cross our fingers and hope it's a better one.
1: Uh, You better cross both hands. if That's the case. (laughs) Um, But no, I, I think it would make sense, though, to, to wait to shake up your staff till after the next signing day. Coaches do that all the time. I mean, it yeah. stinks for the kids, and maybe it might stink with the portal being an option, but I don't know. That's kind of the only thing giving me hope at, at this point.
0: Yeah. Now, I you want re- Twitter day, questions? Uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Let's do Twitter questions. Go all ahead. Right.
1: Yeah, I put out some Twitter questions on here, and I put some on the uh, Pistols Firing Forum, the Chamber, the PFB+. Plus Again, that if you haven't been on the Chamber and you're not subscribed to Pistols Firing, you should. Uh, there's been a lot of good info on there, a lot of great discussion just involving what's going on with the football program, what's going on with the basketball program. And really, I think you'll be hard-pressed to find a better forum for Oklahoma State sports. So if you're looking for somewhere to you know, chat more uh, message board style about Oklahoma State, check out the Chamber, uh, subscribe to Pistols Firing it's not much money at all and it's a it's a good community and there's some there's some people in there who know some things um so i would encourage people to do that so i i posed a question in there i got a few in there as well but um let's get to twitter questions i mentioned brandon's uh, let's see here
0: um i've got ryan here how many more games does men's basketball need to win to make it into the tournament uh oklahoma state currently three and five in conference 11 and nine overall but i'm looking more at conferences three and five um actually been a really good home team eight and two at home two and five on the road carson the big 12 is so loaded all the metrics just think of this conference so highly i don't know i'm, I'm kind of tempted to say four more might get you in at seven and eleven in conference depending which four they are if you only beat like OU and West Virginia the rest of the way. Maybe not, but if you could sneak one in against a TCU or a Kansas State or a Baylor, um, then I think maybe you could get in that way. So I'm going to tentatively say four. I'd feel really good at five. Yeah.
1: So what what would that get their record to in conference?
0: Uh four more would have them finish at seven and eleven in conference. Five more would have them finish at eight and ten in conference. Uh there's ten left. So to win five more, they'd have to go five hundred the rest of the way in conference play.
1: Yeah, and they got a lot of home games remaining. I I, I just kind of think I know the respect for the Big Twelve is is there more so than almost any other year. It's really just taken on a whole nother level this season. I still think you got to get to eight and ten. I, I think seven eleven, you're firmly on the bubble. May get in, may not. You might still get in at seven eleven, but I to really feel good about it, I think you gotta get to eight and ten in conference. I just that's kind of been the threshold in years past. I know this year is is super unique with you know literally every team in the Big Twelve being being really good, um, maybe competitive at the worst. Um, I still go eight and ten, but man, they got some real opportunities at home coming up. You know they got the the Big Twelve SEC Challenge coming up against Ole Miss, and then
0: bad uh, Ole Miss team by the way. Got to beat Ole Miss. They're nine and 11 have to. One and seven in conference.
1: Have to. Oklahoma's reeling. You you need to go down to Norman and win. That would really give you some cushion with TCU and tech coming at home as well. And then Kansas too. So, you know, none of them are going to be easy, but I, and again, they, they put out another offensive dud against Texas on the road. Their, their offense really, (laughs) it's just so bad, but man, they're so good defensively that sometimes they can get by. And I think having that home crowd, Colby, you know, you missed, uh, you and I missed talking about the latest home games that they had that, that big win against Iowa state was huge for them. And, and Mike Boynton said it afterwards, he said, you know, our crowd's never lost a game, but they sure have won some. And I, I think their defensive prowess is even strengthened when they're at home and then the old barn's rocking like it was.
0: No, it definitely is. I was really disappointed uh, when I was in New Mexico. We didn't get ESPNU at the hotel and my service was not good enough to stream the Bedlam game. So I missed the Bedlam game, the second half, the the closing flurry, pointing, throwing his jacket off. I missed all that live. I uh, was able to rewatch a good chunk of it after the fact. The Iowa State game, uh, I watched every every second of that one and Man, it started off bad, 19-5 to right out of the gate, and then they come back. That was a huge, huge win. Uh, Texas is a tough matchup. Texas can just score so many points, even against a good defense like Oklahoma State. I just think that that uh, is a tough matchup for the Cowboys. But, yeah, these games coming up at home, they're going to be big. The atmosphere has been good lately, and I think the team has been giving you a reason for the atmosphere to be good. Like I said, they've been a good home team, Good big win over Oklahoma. Good win over Iowa State. Uh, And, yeah, like you said, the, the home opponents remaining. Ole Miss this Saturday. But then in conference, TCU Tech kansas k-state and baylor all those games at home uh the more people that show up at gallagribe arena the better chance of winning those games so um yeah i don't know i, I still think carson you beat all miss this weekend i think 7 and 11 in conference gets you in now it probably gets you in as like a 12 seed uh which would be tough 8 and 10 would make me feel a lot better but i think 7 and 11 gets you in what else we got on twitter are you with me carson
1: Sorry, I had to cough, so I had to I had mute button. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to hit on this topic too. This is from Lewis Pineda. How long do we give Boyton uh, to have a Scott Drew like turnaround? Will it happen for him? And the reason I wanted to bring this up, Colby, is what's happening right now at at the University of Oklahoma. The Sooners are really struggling. People are turning on Porter Moser. Not, it's like almost the inverse of Mike Boyton. Uh, he's a they they like his they think he's a good coach but they don't like his style of play and OU simply doesn't have athletes. They are so unathletic compared to the rest of the big 12. Uh, the recruiting hasn't been great and they, they strictly are the worst athletic team in the big 12. And then you just juxtapose that with Mike Boynton and what he's doing, you know, Brandon Garrison making the McDonald's all American team, the, the recruit they just got last week when, or two weeks ago when you and I talked like Boynton's killing it in recruiting And they're certainly athletic enough, but is the coaching there? It's kind of an interesting dichotomy. I'm curious, which one would you rather have? Uh, Would you rather have Porter Moser with very little athletes trying to get by with offensive skill uh, that they have and the shooting ability? Or would you rather have dudes like Boynton and hope they they put it all together?
0: Uh, I'd rather have dudes. I think basketball more than almost any other team sport is about the dudes. Uh, there's only five of them. One, two can make a massive, massive impact. I mean, look at what one year of Cade did. One year of Cade. Uh, now, Cade's not walking through that door, but there are three pretty high-level four stars walking through that door. I I know some people are, are, are not on board with this, and I get it, but I am fully prepared to be patient with Mike Boynton. I want him to be the guy to make it work in Stillwater. He is bringing in more dudes, which I think will lead to more success which will lead to more dudes and even more success i just man i i understand that it is hard to be patient whenever you're looking at this big 12 conference where TCU has gotten it figured out under Jamie Dixon, where Kansas state seemingly has figured it out. Iowa state has it rolling right now. I, I understand it is hard to be patient while all of those programs are on their way up. And it seems like Oklahoma state is stuck on this plateau, but I do believe that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and, and, Shout out to Mike Boynton because he's made me believe that. He has made me believe in him despite the lack of on-court success uh, in years that don't involve Cade. I know maybe people are tired of hearing about the NCAA stuff. Maybe they're not. The further removed from that you get, I think the easier it gets for Mike Boynton. I just – I am willing to be patient with him because I do think that he is – such a personality that guys want to play for. I think he's the type of coach that the fans want to root for. Uh, After the Iowa State game, you know, he's jumping over the chairs into the student section. That's the guy that I want leading the program because I just don't see how that guy can continue to not have success as he's bringing in better and better players. I think the success is coming. I just think it's going I mean, we're still having to be patient. I get why some people don't want to do that. I personally am willing to have that patience with Coach Boynton and hope that he can figure it out with this new wave of recruits that he has coming in.
1: You can handle not scoring 50 points moving forward or you need that to see that improve <laughs> uh
0: from time to time you might have a bad offensive day look you, you need to score more uh the offense has not been the calling card under point Boynton. it's definitely been the defense i mean you look at the, their last win against iowa state they won that game with 61 points um yeah it, it's it's tough on the nights when whenever you're not making any but um yeah i'm just scrolling through the schedule here the 56 46 loss to texas was tough um yeah, the the offense. We forget
1: about we forget about Eddie, right? I mean, it's not like Eddie's teams were scoring ninety <laughs> in a given night. They were pretty low-scoring, defensive-minded teams for the most part. And I think more than anything, he, he might need, might probably needs to hire an offensive coordinator, <laughs> just like the other Mike, Mike Gundy needs to. Uh, I think that's just been a a constant issue. Like I said on the previous podcasts, that the players have changed, uh, but that hasn't. And, and I will give Mike Boynton a little bit of slack, like you remember and we've talked about this travis ford trying to turn michael cobbins into wilt chamberlain kyle poor used to call him cobbins chamberlain <laughs> acting as if he was missing shack and that it was just it just an insurmountable loss and and mike cobbins was a very good player don't get me wrong but he was literally the only big they had so but i, I will say musa Sise is way more of an impact loss than, than michael cobbins ever was and and they haven't had him for for stretches this year um, so I, I will give him some benefit of the doubt there. And he's such a difference maker to so their already great defense too. So that there are some factors there, but more than anything, he needs an offensive coordinator. But I, I am with you though, Colby. I, I think you gotta let it play out, especially given all the NCAA stuff that's that's been going on.
0: Yeah, I just again when when you are uh the type of man that Mike Boynton is you're going to elicit more patience. Uh, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing because, again, I think at some point that enthusiasm, that love for Oklahoma State, the guys that he's bringing in, I just, man, I can't imagine that there's not going to be some payoff for him, for for Coach Point and for all the work that he's put in and everything that he's done ingratiating himself in the culture. It just feels like that payoff has to be coming. Um, just got to wait for it. Just got, And that's tough to do when other teams are having success, but be patient. And I, I think that the fan base will be rewarded. Thank
1: you to Lewis or Luis for the uh, question. How about Nick Chabot uh, or Chabot? Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. He says, if you could predict your dream scenario for the football program for the next five years, what would it look like? Who's the coaches recruiting? How are they handling NIL hopeful end of season outcomes? So what is your dream scenario? The next five years, Colby, I have mine. if, If you want me to go first.
0: Uh, I mean, are we talking realistically or unrealistically? I mean,
1: Realistically, like best case scenario, not like they turn into Alabama, obviously.
0: Okay. I was going to say, my dream scenario is that they lead the country in recruiting and win back to back national championships like Georgia, but that seems a little unrealistic. You can go ahead and go first. What's that? You can go ahead and go first. Yours is ready. I want to, I want to kind of tailor mine to yours and see how, how crazy and out there we're getting. All right. Here's mine.
1: Um, This next year, I think it's going to be rough, obviously, just given all the change, the the seemingly lack of changes on the offensive staff. Uh, The ideal realistic scenario, Mike Gundy retires after the next season. Zach Robinson comes in as head coach, hires a bunch of NFL staffers that that literally are obsessed with recruiting, a la Marcus Arroyo, and they start recruiting. And Zach turns somewhat into a Luke Fickle type who – um, and I know Luke Fickle just took the Wisconsin job, but he's kind of he's he's always been been kind of waiting on the Ohio State job where he went to school. This is kind of Zach's Ohio State job. Uh, he's a lifer like Mike Gundy, and he's young. He's had super like the the Chargers want to hire him right now as their offensive coordinator, and he's obviously just totally beloved. But I just more than anything, I think you get a coach in here who has OSU ties that is obsessed with recruiting. Gets total buy-in from the donors. Uh, Boone Pickens' estate kicks in more money to the program. I think that's still kind of floating out there in the ether. They get get a $500 million bonus from Boone for NIL, and they start buying recruits on top of Zach's overwhelming charm and and coaching prowess, and they become the big dogs in the Big 12 and win the Big 12 almost as often as OU, maybe not as much because they were so dominant, but are a perennial – playoff team coming out of the big 12 and kind of turn it into like what Eddie Sutton had where you're in the tournament every year meaning that the the top 12 playoff and when you're really good you can make a run Uh, I think that's that's my my glass half full realistic scenario for the next five years and maybe who knows maybe they get to a a national championship game like TCU did
0: I would be so beyond all in on Zach Robinson at Oklahoma State Uh, the only problem that that I see in that theory I think Zach Robinson is going to be an NFL head coach. I, I could say inside five years conservatively. I think inside three years he could be an NFL head coach. I am that bullish on Zach Robinson, Carson. Yeah,
1: I don't know if he likes to recruit. I mean, you're you're totally right. That's the one thing that, you know, when Bill and I were talking about it, I, I have some reservations on his motivation to get to college because especially now, with <laughs> you have to literally re-recruit your team that you have on campus in addition to, like, other players. I don't know if that's something that would appeal to an NFL guy.
0: Yeah, I don't know. In the NFL, they're just like, yep, here's your players. This is what fits under the salary cap. Go win games. And in college football, there's just so, so much more that you have to do. Uh, That would be a great one. Uh, Dream scenario – is Garrett Riley has some success at Clemson, and then you hire Garrett Riley to be the head coach here in about three years probably, two, three years. Uh, Mike Gundy retires, walks off into the sunset, not after a a historic college football playoff season, uh, but not after a dud either. A a solid nine-win season, Mike Gundy decides, you know what? I've done this for a long time. I've given so much of my life. I, I think at this point, if you include player, assistant, and head coach, he's given well over half of his life to the univer- to Oklahoma State University. He rides off into the sunset uh, here in a couple of years. You bring Garrett Riley in, that gets a bunch of excitement just through the roof. He brings in offensive guys. All of a sudden, Oklahoma State is back to the offense. We all came to know and love from, let's call it, 2007 to 2017, probably. Um, And you recruit at a high level, and you become one of the probably three to four programs at the upper echelon of the new Big 12 that are competing for the Big 12 conference year in and year out. Not not these years where you know by, you know, the first week of November, whenever that calendar flips uh, after Halloween, that you're eliminated from the race. That's no fun. Nobody enjoys that. You want to be competing for conference titles every November. Uh, so for me, I think that's probably dream scenario. I, I don't know is, is, this is a stepping stone for somebody like Garrett Riley, probably. Will he get a bigger job coming out of Clemson? Maybe. Uh, will Mike Gundy coach one more year or 15 more years? I have no idea. But if you're asking me what I would love to see, that's what I would love to see.
1: I think that's very realistic. Are you prepared for Garrett Riley to go to UCLA? Uh,
0: to, to go from Oklahoma State to UCLA? Yeah, like his brother did. Uh, yeah. Just yeah.
1: different L.A. school.
0: How about this? If he were to come to Oklahoma State, For the exact duration of time that Lincoln Riley was OU and win the exact same number of conference championships, and then he goes to UCLA, I'm gonna give him a thumbs up and wish him well. That would be fun.
1: Yeah, and again, I I like your scenario too, and I, I think he's big time, obviously. I think people scoff at this, and I'm gonna bring it up one more time since we're on the topic. Clemson They did win a national title in the early 80s. I understand that. That's totally different than what Oklahoma State was in the early 80s. Oklahoma State was number two in the country in 85, 86, 88, in there somewhere. I think before Gundy and Sanders. Clemson and Oklahoma State are not that different. So, and what it took was this meteorite named Dabo, who just recruited the lights out. He turned. Clemson, a very comparable school in a remote location, much like Stillwater, he turned them into Alabama. Can someone do that at Oklahoma State? I don't think it's now. Do I think they're going to make the playoff every year like Clemson? No, but doing something in the vicinity of that at Oklahoma State, is that impossible? I don't think so. Maybe Clemson is just way more well-funded than than Oklahoma State. That might be true. I don't have all the numbers to, to, to verify that. But I don't think it's out of the question. I don't think it's crazy talk. Uh, now, who that, who that person is, I have no idea. Is it Zach Robinson? I have no idea. Is it Josh Henson? I have no idea. But it's like people forget Colby. Clemson was not a blue blood. Dabo turned them into one by sheer force of personality and recruiting. That's, that's why we care about recruiting. It's about dudes. It's about putting dudes in the NFL. Uh, in the NIL era, it's going to be a lot different. I, I certainly understand those challenges. But if we're talking realistic dream scenarios, I don't think that's all that unrealistic. Someone can get somewhere in the vicinity of what Dabo did at Oklahoma State. That's what I'm looking for in the next head coach.
0: Yeah, I think uh, one thing, one big piece of the puzzle, I think Clemson had a large cash influx around that time as well. I don't know where that next large cash influx is coming for Oklahoma State. Maybe it comes from the I mean, I don't know that it was like a, a Boone-Pickens-Phil night, um, but I know that their recruiting budget was way, way, way higher than Oklahoma State's once, once Dabo had it rolling just a little bit, those facilities, the slides, the barbershops, all that stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think that that stuff was coming from ticket sales.
1: No, I think, I mean, yeah, that's that's the area that, again, I don't, I don't know enough about. But how about this? Do you know who hired Dabo Swinney at Clemson?
0: Ooh, that's a good question, and I don't
1: got him Terry Don Phillips.
0: Does that oh, ring a bell? It does it does yeah, interesting. I did not know that I did not uh, know For that connection.
1: Oklahoma State athletic director Terry Don Phillips to bring it completely full circle and I know I know people listen to this Carson that's apples and oranges and look <laughs> am I saying Oklahoma State can be Clemson tomorrow or with a new coach? No, but I am saying. People just all of a sudden just assume Clemson and their infrastructure and that where they're located. And again, they're, they're closer to a lot more players where they're located. I, I understand there's differences, okay? I do. But they're not that dissimilar before Dabo arrived. They were pretty much a middling ACC team. And OSU's been way better than that over the last 10 years. So I bring that all that's to say, Colby, that there's a realistic scenario out there that I think is pretty far-fetched in some people's minds.
0: Yeah, no, I, I obviously uh, would love that. couple other quick ones here. Robert Dennis asked, what's the ceiling and the floor for football in 2023? Carson, your ceiling and your floor. Oh, the
1: ceiling. Alan Bowman plays like he did those two games in Stillwater the whole year. Uh, lights it up. Uh, Nardog, uh, which we'll get to on, on that name. Uh, he's a revelation in year one. I don't know if I have a comp for that. Maybe, maybe a Todd Munkin. Uh, in year one, just kind of taking the reins and, and elevating it to a higher level, and they win the Big 12 and win 10 games. I think that's the that's the ceiling. Uh, win 10 games, win the Big 12. Uh, that'd be really tough. But I don't think there's just some juggernaut in the Big 12 next year. Everyone's kind of picking Texas. I mean, that that doesn't scare me, especially without Robinson and uh, Bijan Robinson. Uh, floor uh, five and seven, four and eight. I mean, you lost so many starters 16 scholarship players that were big contributors uh you got new defensive coordinator trying to install a new system and you have the same offensive staff that had by far the worst yards per play in the big 12 last year uh by every metric they were one of the worst offenses in the country the last half of the year so i think four and seven uh or sorry five and seven four and eight that's the floor
0: uh yeah, it's it's crazy to say, but whenever you have so much turnover and when you have a turnover at quarterback with a guy who legitimately could be very good in Alan Bowman. He could also just be awful after this much time off. Um he's he's shown a propensity to to get injured. That could happen. I think that the range for ceiling and floor uh, are very par- far apart. Like you, I think 10 wins, probably the ceiling. I can't imagine that team going 11-1 and 1, uh, or 12-0. I'm just talking regular season here. Whatever happens after uh, is bonus. But I think 10-2 and 2 is probably the ceiling if Alan Bowman is an absolute rock star. If he's not, if he gets hurt, if things go wrong, yeah, I think I think 4-8 and 8 could be in play too. So uh, I know that that provides absolutely no clarity. But I also think it's going to make next season a ton of fun as a fan because The range of outcomes are, I mean... But just almost limitless for what we're looking at here. Uh, the expectations are probably going to be a little bit lower, so whenever you get a big win, it's going to feel like a bonus as opposed to an expectation. Um, yeah, I, I think four or ten are in play next year. And then last one that I really want to get to on Twitter, and I'm sorry for all the good questions uh, that we weren't able to get to. Appreciate everyone sending all those in. We always love the support and the interaction. Pokia said uh, thoughts on our GOAT going to Ole Miss. Uh, Spencer Sanders is who he's referencing there. I'll just say this, Carson he better win the starting job uh, because I would love to watch him play in the SEC in a Lane Kiffin offense.
1: Yeah, and I, I know you got a hard out, so we got to get going. Uh, I appreciate everybody asking questions. Um, like Spencer liked a tweet that were my exact thoughts. He liked a tweet where someone basically said, guys, Spencer's not transferring to Ole Miss unless he knows he's the starter. I, I'm convinced that Lane Kiffin said either I'm benching Jackson Dart or he's transferring once you get here. And the other guy coming from LSU is too young. So I don't think he's transferring to Ole Miss with that in question at all. I just – I don't. Now, there is some questions about his his academics. Perhaps he couldn't get into Auburn. Maybe Ole Miss was his last real spot. That's certainly the, the other side of that coin. But I think more than anything, I think Spencer is well-educated on, on the depth chart at Ole Miss.
0: Yep, I think so too. I do have time for bullets and BBs. Carson, you want to go you want me to go? Uh, you go ahead. Uh, the, the families of the 10 and the 10 themselves, Denver Mills, Nate Fleming, Daniel Lawson, Jared Weiberg, Pat Noyes, Bill Teagans, Will Hancock, Brian Lewinstra, Kendall Durfee and Bjorn Falstrom. January 27th, 2001. It has been 22 years. Every year we remember the 10. Um, yeah, every, every single year. Don't ever forget. It's, it's part of, uh, the fabric of this university and our history and the, the family culture that you feel whenever you go to Stillwater. Uh, that's all part of it. So, uh, yeah, to the families of the ten and the ten themselves who lost their lives that day.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's important. January twenty seventh, we will remember. Uh, I did an interview with Chad Weiberg several years ago about the ten. Uh, obviously, his brother perished in that plane crash. I think it's really cool that someone within the, within the fam the OSU family is now leading the athletics department, and obviously that's something that you know he and his family and the OSU family will will always remember and. Uh, I think it's special having someone like that uh, leading the, the university and the athletic department moving forward. So it's, a, it's an important day. Another bullet for me, uh, J- how about Coach Hoyt, uh, J.C. Hoyt, for o- OSU Women's Basketball. They are rolling. Uh, she is doing one of the best coaching jobs we've seen, and we've seen a lot of good ones, you know, obviously in softball, with Kenny Gajewski, Josh Holiday, making instant impacts in those respective sports. Uh, J.C. Hoyt looks like a home run hire, Colby. She's, she's lighting it up.
0: She has been unbelievable. Uh, The Cowgirls have been great this year. They are 14 and six, I think. Yeah, four and four in conference in her first season, 10 and two at home. Uh, A very good squad. My BB Carson, this was an easy one for me. I wanted to give it out last week. I'm a little behind on this. TCU. Oh, my God, all the goodwill that TCU established this season with their magical run. They won me over. I was rooting for them in the playoff. It all goes away the second that you hire Kendall Bryles to be your offensive coordinator. There are so many coordinators out there who can call offense, and yet, for some reason, college football still feels the need to dip into the Bryles pool. It, uh, Man, I I was baffled that they made the hire – all the goodwill they won over, um, yeah, just major, major BB to TCU on that hire.
1: Yeah, that's brutal. I mean, it's been proven that you know he <clears throat> he had more to do with covering stuff up almost than than Art Bryles did. He he kept stuff from Art, which is just deplorable and and inexcusable. I don't know what TCU's thinking. I think their their post about it said it all. They basically had like welcome real big and not his name real big, and they put his. They put his family in the picture to try to deter negative comments, but didn't work. Oh, yeah.
0: They had they had the last name in purple over like kind of a dark hat. So Bryles, you could only kind of see like the top half of it. Somebody broke down like the PR masterpiece that was the release on Kendall Bryles, uh, you know, h- hiding the hire behind the family and everything else. And it's just... I mean, TCU, you just had a great year. Everybody loves you right now. The one thing you can do to get them to all hate you is hire Kendall Bryles. I'll root against TCU every time that ball takes into the sky next fall. Uh, yep. My BB
1: goes to my team, Manchester United, for giving up a 90, an extra time goal to your new team, Crystal Palace That's... in the English Premier League. Uh, That's... that was just deplorable to give up a free kick in that spot. And then, uh, but no, maybe that was a good way to get you hooked
0: on the EPL. Right? I uh, Yeah, I've become a big soccer guy. I I never thought I would. If you're out there listening and you're like, all right, you nerds, there is just nothing better than waking up on the, the weekends. It's 9 a.m. I've got all three TVs in the living room on and live sports on all three. And I, I know somebody pointed this out last week. I don't know who it was. They're like 4-3 soccer game. That's like really high scoring. You realize a 4-3 soccer game is the same thing as a 28-21 to 21 football game? in soccer they get one point for scoring in football they get in the end zone we give them six and and then we give them another free one i it's the 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 scoring thing took me a while to get on side uh with soccer but i i love it i'm hooked i can't wait to watch man city and arsenal here in about an hour in the fa cup
1: yeah the best part about it is you know when the game ends you don't have to worry about tv timeouts like it's you're 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 in and out in two hours tops yeah so you're good that's that the timing too yeah 9 a.m saturday knock it out done on with your day so That'll be great. Uh, Colby, now you got a heart out. we got to get out of here. Appreciate you, and uh, we'll get back with you next week.
0: Absolutely. Great to be back. Appreciate everyone listening and sending in all your questions on Twitter. Enjoy Oklahoma State Ole Miss this Saturday. Get up to Gallagher-Iba if you are able. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Go Pokes.